Bible from the pews, open up to page 1026 to Matthew 17 and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 13. Verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shined like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognise him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, well, as my volume comes on and I organise myself, why don't you turn and say another hello, or if you've just come in, your very first hello, and um, particularly why don't you ask one another what you're hoping for for this week or this year. There's a conversation starter. What are you hoping for for this week or this year? Anything you like, person next to you, why don't you say hello again. Go. Okay, well, I hope those uh, have been enjoyable uh, conversations that you can continue in just a moment after supper and hopefully you'll have something additional uh, to answer that question with in just a little while. Uh, today we're going to talk a lot about hope, uh, but before we get there, uh, I want to tell you there's a song on a fairly high rotation in the Sorensen household at the moment. Uh, And it goes a little like this. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. (laughs) Just thinking about tomorrow. Clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow. 
till there's none. When I'm stuck in a day that's grey and lonely, I just stick out my chin and grin. If you know it, you feel free to help me. And say, oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. So you got to hang on till tomorrow. Come what may. I think it goes up. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I love you. Tomorrow. You're always a day away. And it, it goes on some more. Um, now, yeah, thank you, Harry, for the clap and for being the only person that helped me right here. Now, no matter what you think about that song uh, or the musical that it's from or the rendition of the last 30 excruciating seconds, um, yes, they were for me too, um, I want to say that that song has a profoundly deep truth in it. A profoundly deep truth about humanity and hope. I read an article this week that said, we humans are hoping creatures. We live very largely on and in our anticipations. Things we know are coming and we look forward to. And if the light of that hope goes out, life shrinks to mere existence something far less than it was meant to be. Uh, in other words, in layman's term, uh, Annie was really on to something. What you hope for tomorrow makes a massive difference to your living today. What you hope for tomorrow makes a massive difference to your living today. And if you don't believe me, and if you don't believe Annie... Uh, Just ask any husband or wife expecting their first child. Just ask a bride-to-be as the wedding day comes or or an athlete who trains toward an event or a student who studies toward the exam or a child whose birthday is just one week away. Your hope for tomorrow makes a massive difference to your living today. You see, when your hope is strong and certain you will endure almost anything to get to it. When there's light at the end of the tunnel, you will press on and persevere, but dim that light, dull that hope, and very, very quickly, as I'm sure you will know, motivation drains away. Very quickly, you're left living a very different life and often in a very different direction. Your hope for tomorrow, or your lack of it, makes a massive difference to your living today. And friends, I want to say, nowhere is that more important than in the life of a Christian. Christians, like no one else on the planet, are supposed to be people who live in hope, whose whole life leans forward for the tomorrow that's yet to come and who will, who should endure anything for that tomorrow, for that hope. See, friends, I wonder if you can remember the last time we read Matthew together a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, chapter 16, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, whoever wants to be with me must say no to their old agenda for life, the agenda that everyone else lives for, and instead embrace a life of others-centred suffering just like the one you follow. Now, I've got to tell you, when we read that in our growth group, one of our group actually in the reading couldn't contain themselves and they just blurted out in a, let's just say, a very Ericarish kind of voice, but, but why would you? Why would you do it? And especially when you consider that when Jesus first spoke those words, the cross wasn't just some metaphor. It wasn't a fashion accessory you hung from some part of your body. People actually died on Roman crosses. Jesus went on to die on a Roman cross. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who so famously quoted, when Christ calls a man... When Christ calls a woman, when Christ calls a child, he bids them come and die. Talk about a day that's grey and lonely. Who on earth signs up for that? Especially in a culture like ours where comfort is king. Comfort is the thing you're supposed to long and hope for. Who on earth would do this? What would it take to do this? Well, today, in the passage in front of you, we're reminded of what? We're reminded of why. We're reminded of the hope we can have, should have, could have in Jesus. And as well, we're reminded of the path that leads to that hope. So I hope you got the passage in front of you, Matthew 17. I'm beginning at verse 1, I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at that passage again. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray tonight that we will see clearly again the hope you have set before us, that we may see clearly again how we're to live in light of that hope and then do it. Every single one of us, Father, please, would you work in us that we would do it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you've got the passage open in front of you, you'll notice the passage is broken into two separate scenes. Uh, The first takes place up the mountain, you may have noticed, where God gives three of his closest disciples a glimpse of future glory, a glory that comes from the Father to the Son for us. Pick it up there, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothing became as white as the light. See, up the mountain, Jesus gives his three closest followers a glimpse of future glory. He, he, if you like, pulls back the curtain and shows them and with them us, Jesus, as one day all will see him. There's just three things I want us to notice. And the first is this, that this comes from God. This is God's verdict. His seal of approval on all that Jesus has just said. After all, do you notice where it happened? Verse 1, do you see it there? It's up on a high mountain. In the Old Testament, mountains are often places where God reveals his glory and speaks to his people. Two of the big ones, of course, are Mount Sinai with Moses in Exodus 24. And then Mount Horeb with Elijah, 1 Kings 19. And here are Jesus with the disciples on a high mountain. Could this be from God? 
The change in Jesus' appearance too tells you this is his God at work. And now, I take it if we're reading this, most of us kind of reply, oh, duh, of course. Uh, this is obviously not normal. Even the word transfiguration is not that normal. But I want to say it's especially true when you remember your Old Testament and how the angels of God are described. Or, or better, how God himself is described in places like Daniel chapter 7. The one Daniel calls the, the Ancient of Days, who, who takes his seat on the throne, who, whose clothing, Daniel says, was as white as snow, as white as light. And then there's the Elijah and Moses there, verse 3. You know, perhaps the two greatest prophets ever sent by God who just happened to turn up and talk there with Jesus. And then there's the cloud, verse 5. Like the mountains, often in the Old Testament, clouds are associated with the presence of God, like, like the cloud by which God leads his people out of Egypt, or the, the cloud that covers Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, or the, the cloud that comes to the tabernacle to show that God was there. And that's not to mention the voice that comes from God repeating those same words he's already spoken at Jesus' baptism. Do you remember? Those words that echo Psalm 2, Isaiah 40, about God's, when God says who Jesus is. And then he adds, verse 5, remarkably, crucially, given what he's just said in Matthew 16, listen to him. You see, friends, this whole scene is set up. It's all designed to show us this is from God. And this is about Jesus. And yes, I know that seems blindingly obvious. But if you're anything like me, I think you can miss it. Or at least downplay it. If you're like me, you can get so distracted by the, by the lights and the, and the dead prophets and the kind of cool voices, you end up looking all around Jesus instead of directly at him. And friends, this is designed so that we will look directly at him. After all, take Moses and Elijah, for example. Those two great prophets that poor old Peter gets so distracted by. Why are they there? Well, I take it they're there to point to Jesus' greatness. But how? How do they do that? Well, I can tell you what I first thought. I thought what was going on here was a kind of biblical name dropping, a kind of greatness by association. I mean, have you seen who Jesus hangs with? I mean, have, have you seen who he's compared to? After all, I'm sure if you drop around my place and as you come up the drive, you saw Barack Obama and the Queen of England just chilling out on my doorstep, having a conversation with me. You'd probably start thinking, man, there's a lot more to this Peter than I first thought. See, I, I thought that's what was happening here. I mean, he must be great. Just look at who he hangs with. But I wonder, on second look, do you notice... That's not what's happening at all. Jesus is not so much compared to these great ones who appear and stand beside him. Much, much more, Jesus is contrasted against them. Moses and Elijah appear not merely to show us that Jesus is great, just look at who he's like. 
but instead that Jesus is great, just look at who he's greater than. If you remember back for many years ago, perhaps for some of you, maybe not so long for others, it's like the old Sesame Street song. I don't know if you ever knew it. Uh, Two of these things belong together. One of these things just doesn't belong. Again, lots of blank faces. Trust me, it was a Sesame Street thing about 35 years ago. That's how we used to roll. Or more to the point here, two of these things belong together and now only one of these things truly belongs. After all, I wonder, did you notice... Who alone is glorified of those three before the watching disciples? It's not Moses and Elijah. It's Jesus alone. Who alone is it who the voice speaks about when it booms from God from the cloud? It's not Moses and Elijah. It's Jesus alone. Who alone is left when the voice stops and the cloud passes? It's not Moses and Elijah. Again, it's Jesus alone. You see, as great as Moses was, he only ever pointed forward. As great as Elijah was, he only ever pointed forward. And to what? To who? To this. To this glorious Jesus. See, I don't know if, you have, if you've noticed it yet, but, but the whole Bible, indeed the whole of reality, is, is kind of hourglass shaped with, with Jesus smack in the centre and, and everything before preparing for him and pointing to him and focusing and focusing and focusing on him, on the him who would die as he just said he would on the him who would rise as he just said he would. And so importantly for the passage here in front of us today, on the him who would return again in glory as he just said he would to reward each person according to what they have done. You see, up the mountain we get this glimpse of future glory from God, about Jesus, and for us. When we did this uh, passage in our growth group just before Easter, uh, one of our group asked what I think is about the most important question you can ever ask when reading the Bible, and the question was that, it was this, why? But why the transfiguration? Why is it recorded for us? Well, the answer, it's for I take it even more than Jesus. It's for us. Or more accurately, in the first first instance, it's for them. For those three. In fact, if you get time later, go back through and look at all the thems in the passage. For those three, that, them, there on the mount, and then through them, for us. So that we might get a a glimpse, a, a kind of sneak peek of the future glory of Jesus. So we with them might truly know he really is who he says he is. So that we with them might truly know he will come back in glory as he said he would. This isn't all made up. This isn't wishful thinking. This is the promise of the prophets confirmed in glory. 
And friends, I wonder if you noticed that's exactly what Peter said as he reflected on this event in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the future glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, when, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, remember that, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We didn't make this up, Peter says. And in particular, we didn't make up that Jesus will return in glory. You know, the last time we read Matthew together two weeks ago, Jesus promised, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what they have done. And Peter says, that's true. He will. We were there on the mountain. We glimpsed his future glory. We heard the voice of God. Do you see, friends, what you hope for tomorrow makes a massive difference to your living today. And this is our hope. This is what we live toward. This is why, with complete confidence, no matter the cost, no matter how foolish it looks to the world, no matter how foolish it often seems to ourselves, in the way we give our money, in the way we give our time, in the job we choose to do, in the people we choose to love, in the way we speak of Jesus, even when it leads to social exclusion or maybe even worse, this is why, with joy even in the cost, we can deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Because this is coming. He is coming. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and every day it gets closer and closer. This life around us isn't all there is. We live for something more. We live for someone more. There is a tomorrow. Tomorrow. I love you. Tomorrow. And it might only be a day away. But until then, whether a day or more, there's work to do. See, up the mountain, the disciples get a glimpse of future glory. And then down the mountain, they get a promise of present suffering. After Elijah, first for the son, and then for whoever wants to be his disciple. See, as they come down the mountain, you see there, verse 9, Jesus insists there's an order to be followed. 
and order of events already decided in God's eternal plan. And and in that order, here in verse 9 at least, before the proclamation comes the resurrection. Before the time to tell, the Son of Man must rise. Before you speak of glory, there must be present suffering. And so, the disciples ask, verse 10, why then did the teachers of the law say, Elijah must come first? Now, if you're anything like me, I don't know about you, but that seems to me a completely random question. I'm going to put your hands in the air if you think that really is a random question. But, but see, it's not if the context is order. And not if the question is what must happen before that wonderful glory comes. And of course, that's precisely the, con- the context Jesus has just introduced. The context is order. And that's precisely the question the mountains should make you ask. What has to happen before that glory comes? And so the disciples basically just run with the theme. Sure, Jesus, let's talk order. Tell us about Elijah. Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? To which Jesus replies, see it, verse 11. Because he must. That's why they say it. Just as Isaiah promised hundreds of years earlier, just as Malachi promised hundreds of years earlier, Elijah must come first. And in fact, verse 12, he already has. That was John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, who came onto the scene dressed just like Elijah who came onto the scene acting just like Elijah, who prepared the way as the prophecies promised. Yes, that's the order, Jesus says, but let's keep talking about order. Let's again talk about what must happen before the glory comes and what's that? Well, Jesus goes on, you'll see that it's present suffering. First for the Son... And then for whoever wants to be his disciple. Do you see verse 12? In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Remember what Peter tried to take Jesus aside with last time? No, 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 Jesus, (laughs) this won't happen to you. The Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And as we saw last week in Matthew 16, In those words Jesus spoke immediately before these, so too will anyone, so too will everyone who wants to be his disciple. Only after the suffering will the glory come to stay. Only after the suffering will come the glory that God's people hope for and long for. I don't know about you, but as I've thought about it, uh, in many ways, this kind of second scene, it kind of reminds me of God's prenatal class. Uh, Just run with me for a little bit on this. Uh, Now, if you haven't had the joy of sitting through a prenatal class as the father of four, let me tell you how it works. What happens is something like six weeks before the the first baby enters the world, you you come and invited to to experience the the beauty and let's just say the horror of uh, childbirth. Uh, with kind of big, fat screen, full surround sound, room full of equally petrified parents. And, and here's what they do. 
First they show you a glimpse of future glory. The glory of your new child. The future you, you hope towards and, and everyone smiles and kind of dads are high-fiving each other and mums are hot-crying and a little bit of tear. And, and then they show you the path. The path to future glory. Then they show you the pain required for glory to come. And friends, I want to say, in some ways, just probably just some, in some ways, that's what God does for them and us here. Having shown us a glimpse of future glory, a glory that will certainly come, God reminds us of the path that must lead toward that glory. First for Jesus, in sacrificial suffering, death, resurrection. And then for any and all who would follow in his steps. Friends, as we wrap it up, uh, just a couple of last things to say. And the first is that if you are now living for Jesus and living for others because you live for Jesus and you are wondering whether it really is worth it, then I pray from this passage you will remember your hope and you will wonder no more. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And if you're here, and you're a Christian, and, and I guess if you're not living toward that hope, if, if your light has dimmed, if your hope has dulled, if you know in your heart of hearts that your motivation has at least somewhat basically drained away and you are living a very different life and perhaps even in a very different direction, And friends, from this part of God's word, I want to say, be encouraged to remember your hope. I want to say, let that hope catch your heart again. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what they have done. And finally, friends, if you're with us tonight and you don't follow Jesus, first of all, we're so glad you're here. You are most welcome here. Please come again. And second, we pray that with us, at God's clear command, you will listen to him. He really is God's own son. He really died and rose for you. He really does call you to follow him at the cost of your life. And friends, he really will come again in glory with his angels and reward each person 
according to what he has done. Let me pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your clear word to us. We thank and praise you for the events of the transfiguration. That in your great and undeserved kindness, you peeled back the curtain and gave them and through them us a glimpse of future glory, of the glory of Jesus, of how we will see him when he returns. Our Father, for those in the room who are your people, we pray we would see that brightly and live for it fully that we would be willing to take up our cross, to give ourselves to you, to live our lives for others, to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray for those dear friends in the room who do not yet follow the Lord Jesus. We pray simply for Father that they would listen to you as you call them and us to listen to him. We pray these things for Jesus' sake and for his honour. Amen.